Well, good morning, everybody. It's, it's, it's good to be here with so many friends and family, people that we love to come and, and worship. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Lee Hansen, and I'm on staff here in student ministries. They don't let us out in public much, and when they do, they dress us up in these suits. And so if you don't recognize me, it's, it's just a suit. But yeah, we are upstairs. We, we don't get the chance to be involved up front a lot on the weekends because we do so much outside of the church and on Wednesday nights. And one of the, they say it's the little things in life. Uh, and one of the little things for me when I got here was, was getting this name tag. Uh, and it sounds so dorky, but I actually genuinely love to wear this name tag. I don't know why, and it's not a joke, and my boss incessantly makes fun of me for it. So in honor of Corey, I thought I'd wear this name tag at all four services. <laughs> We've been talking a lot this morning already just about the season. That, that we're entering into, but I'd like to just even acknowledge where we've been. If you've been with us here at CPC for the past few weeks, we've been in this rhythm of, of faith, hope, and love. And we've been talking about how these virtues individually intersect with our faith lives and what that means for us as believers and as a body together. Faith, hope, and love. And we're entering into this new season of Advent, and, and we've coined a new series, and we want to talk about for the next four weeks as we wait for the arrival and the coming of the Messiah, we're, we're going to talk about when love showed up. Love that, that continues to show up in our lives, how it showed up in the scriptures. And, and we're going to throw that idea around a bit. And so we're in this season, as Sarah and, and Paul and Rich mentioned, of, of Advent. And that word literally means arrival. And we're waiting for the arrival of, of Jesus on, on December 25th. We wait for a lot of things. And as I was thinking about the season that we're entering into and this, this idea of waiting... The first thing that came into my mind is how much I genuinely just don't like to wait for anything. I think it's the worst. In fact, I might even say that I hate waiting. And so I thought I'd start this morning by sharing with you the things I hate waiting for the most. Maybe you'll resonate with some of them. Every day I have a 30-minute commute to work. And every day I long and I wait for the green oasis of the siren at Starbucks. And yet every day that line gets longer and longer and longer. Or maybe a little bit of this action. Anybody wait in line on, on Black Friday that had to have that big plasma TV or that new washer and dryer? Those people are mean. They say mean things. They do. They throw elbows and it's not okay. It's not nice. I hate waiting in those lines. Or how about the traffic lights? Anybody like me count the number of cars and jump one lane over because you might, you just might get off five seconds faster than the one on the other side? And lastly, that endless line of suitcases that continue to go around that belt, nobody's grabbing them, so you're wondering whose are they and, and where's mine. I hate waiting. And those are knowing chuckles as I hear because you've waited for these things and you probably don't like it just like I don't. But in, in a more serious tone, we, we wait together for lots of things. Some things funny and some things a little bit more serious. And so perhaps... You, like I've observed, my family, my, my friends, myself, are waiting for something more significant. Like a, like a call from the doctor to talk about your test results. Or a letter uh, from a certain college to wait for acceptance. Perhaps you're waiting for a, a friend or a spouse, a child, to come back from overseas. Maybe you're waiting after a season of, of long unemployment for a call back from an interview. We wait for lots of things. And not ignoring, by any means, the, the reality that we don't like to wait every year intentionally together. As a body, as a faith community, we enter into this season where we wait. For four weeks, we're waiting for something so much bigger than the things on this list. That, that brings that bring so much more life and so much more joy. 
And so together we, we come and we seek and we pray and we long and we celebrate for the arrival of the Messiah. Together. But before I even begin speaking to you about my, my sermon today, I, I want to ask you, as I ask myself the question, what will I do this next four weeks, this Advent season, to wait daily, weekly, moment by moment, and giving that longing and arrival and, and intention to waiting, the same attention that we give to checking our emails, to checking our phones, to checking our Facebook account, to hear some news that we're excited to hear. I want us to enter into that question together of what it means to wait for the arrival of Jesus during this Advent season. And furthermore, perhaps what it would look like and what it would mean for you and for me to have it happen at the most unexpected times. Because I would argue to say it's not going to come on December 25th. And so we enter into this series when, when love shows up. And today I want to I share with you perhaps a somewhat familiar story that, that you might have heard. Might have heard it lots of times. And I want to talk about when love showed up unexpectedly. In the form of, of the grace of Christ. To a woman at a well. And a casual encounter that Jesus happened to stumble upon. A story that I believe has grace written all over it. And so again, I, I mentioned that if this story's familiar to you, I, I just ask that you'd enter into it in with, with new and fresh ears. In a way that maybe you're, you're willing to hear something new. Maybe we don't have everything made up about this story. Maybe we don't know all the answers and know exactly what the story has for us. So I encourage you as I, as I just try to share this story that's some 50 verses long, I, I want to just share it with you. And maybe you'll hear something new. So the story begins as, as Jesus is departing from Judea. The, the scriptures tell us uh, that, that he headed to Samaria. Not just that he headed to Samaria, but that he had to go to Samaria. Interesting. And then it mentions that as he came to Samaria, uh, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was tired. It said, wearied from his journey, Jesus happened to sit by this well. And his disciples had taken off to get some food for, for Jesus and themselves. And as Jesus was tired on his journey... Sitting by this well, he encountered a woman, a Samaritan woman. And, and she had come to this well with a basin, a, a jar that she would fill with water to, to quench her thirst and the thirst of her, her family and her home. And Jesus looks at this woman, a Samaritan woman, and he says, woman, give me a drink. And uh, surprised, this woman looked at Jesus and she said, how can you, a Jew, ask me a Samaritan, and not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman for a drink. Because Jews don't associate, Jews don't come in contact with Samaritans. And Jesus responds in this way, he says, If you knew the gift of God and, and who it was that sang to you, give me a drink, that you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And surprised and in a bit of an accusing tone, this woman accuses Jesus. And she says, what do, you, do you think you're greater than our father Jacob that gave us this well? Jesus responds to her, and he says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. For that water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then the woman again, surprised, and I love her response. She just looks at Jesus and she says, Sir, give me this water. Give me this water so I won't have to thirst. Give me this water so I don't have to come here day after day to draw from this well. 
And so Jesus responds to her, her response, and he says, well, why don't you go and you get your husband and bring him back? And this woman probably hangs her head and says, I don't, I don't have a husband. And so Jesus says, that's, that's right in saying that you don't have a husband because you've had five husbands. And actually, the man that you're living with right now, he's not your husband either. Once again, a little surprised, this, this woman responds to Jesus and she, she says, you must be a prophet. And they enter into this dialogue of, of what it means to worship and where we worship and how we worship. And Jesus lets this woman know that it's not about a place or a setting, but that his father's looking for people who will worship in, in spirit and in truth. And she says this word that she says, sir, I know that the Messiah is coming. And Jesus says to her, he says, I who speak to you am he. And the, the story goes on and, and the disciples come back surprised that Jesus is speaking to this woman. And the scriptures make a point to say that this woman, after she had had this encounter with Jesus, that she left her water jar. She left it at the well and she went to town and told these people all that she knew. I love that story. And as I was getting ready for today and spending as much time in this text, that a couple thoughts came to my mind and I'd like to just share them with you. First thing that that really jumped out at me. I've heard this story taught so many times that Jesus intentionally went to Samaria because he had a mission. That, that he didn't have to. That he, that he chose to go there. And while I, I don't know for sure, the scriptures say that Jesus had to go to Samaria. And then taking a step farther, not just that he had to go to Samaria, but it says the reason he sat down at the well is because he was tired. And I, I wonder... I don't know for certain, but I wonder if there's an element that Jesus was just so open and so available to the leadings and the promptings of the Holy Spirit that he casually sat down at this well, wearied as he was from his journey and engaged in a life-changing conversation that would not just change this woman's life, but would change the lives of her village. It's also quite significant that this is the actually the longest recorded conversation that we have between Jesus and anyone in all of scriptures. And in that day, I'd mentioned that Jews and Samaritans don't interact. And and so not only was it with a Samaritan, it was with a Samaritan woman. Incredibly significant, breaking all sorts of social norms and the ways in which people probably had perceived on how God should act. And finally, John Ortberg gave some insights into this text. And he talked about, again, you've probably heard this story taught. And and if you're like me, I'd heard this story story taught that this woman was perhaps a prostitute. She was a a loose woman, some sort of a, a sexual slave. And yet John Orberg uh, made a couple incredible points that really rearranged some furniture on how I had it said in the story. He, he shares that what we don't have is, is, is records of divorce from that time. And, and specifically, we don't have records of divorce from a woman. Women were not allowed to file for divorce. It was, it was not okay, not accepted. And so perhaps, just maybe... That instead of seeing this woman as a sexually promiscuous, loose, wild woman, maybe it's a little bit more likely that this woman had been abandoned. That this woman was hurting and lonely. And that her only means of survival, the only way that she could sustain physical life, was to be taken as a slave by this man she was living with now. Just to make it. And as I read this story through that lens, it, it changes some things in how I, how I view God. How God views us and how I interact with him. And I, I want to open up the text back to John four thirteen and 14. And I want to point out some words that, uh, that Jesus said to this woman that I just love. So it says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water 
will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up in him. I read it in another passage and it talks about how, how, how the water will literally bubble up inside. I love that analogy that that water would just bubble up inside as we experience Jesus. You know, often Jesus would use different stories and metaphors and analogies in scripture. And, and you know, one of them, maybe you've heard the good shepherd. Well, it sounds strange to us, but people knew what a shepherd was. Sheep were very commonplace and lots of people were shepherds. Very similar to this idea of being thirsty in water. We see it all over the scriptures. And it makes so much sense that Jesus would talk about thirst with this woman. This woman lived in, uh, in a Samaritan village in the middle of a desert. In some of the hottest country that, that is on the face of the planet. And, and every day she literally had to draw from this well water. This woman, these people, this town knew what it was like to be physically thirsty in a way that we don't understand. So when Jesus said to her, anyone who drinks my water, the water that I want to give, you'll never be thirsty. That sounded different to this woman than it sounds to us today. A couple months ago, we were in a staff development time and a, and a friend of mine brought a video that we watched. It's on TEDTalks.com and it's this woman named Brene Brown. It's a fantastic talk about vulnerability. And she had mentioned in her talk a phrase that has reverberated through my head time and time again since I heard it. And this is what she said. She said that America, speaking of our culture, we are the most in-debt, overweight, medicated cohort in all of human history. And as I read this story and I hear those words, I think that we understand, maybe not physically, but emotionally and spiritually, what it means to be thirsty. And sometimes I think I'm more in touch with my thirst than other times, right? Sometimes I can, I can literally feel how emotionally, spiritually hungry and thirsty I am. And then there are times when I go on autopilot for weeks, not really recognizing or acknowledging my thirst, looking to other things, hoping that they'll sustain me until the next thing. And among the things that I think I'm thirsty for, recognition, acceptance, Comfort for my life to be easy, to maintain a, a perfect image. You know, I remember uh, last summer, about a year and a half ago, interviewing here at CPC. And it seemed like a, a month, months and months of a process when in reality it was just a few short weeks. And I remember so carefully preparing how I would portray myself, so carefully thinking through the words I would use and the words I wouldn't use and what I would wear, what I wouldn't wear. And then I would go and I would leave and I would, I would just pick apart in my brain. I, I wish I would have said this different and I wonder what they're thinking about me. And while all those things are, are, are somewhat normal on a level, in my deep angst and anxiety, wondering and, and, and constantly running scenarios through my head of what people were saying about me, the reality and my deep thirst for approval and a perfect reputation were revealed to me. Or when someone messes up my schedule and is running late, and causes me perhaps to be late or, or to skip something that, heaven forbid, I have penciled into my calendar. I get angry. And in my anger, I come face to face and I'm confronted with my thirst for control and comfort. For the reality that I want life to be about me and my schedule. But sometimes I, I thirst for good things. 
Sometimes I thirst for things like living water for my soul, for things like peace and reconciliation and love and joy. And this woman, I'd imagine, thirsted for similar things like companionship and stability, for genuine, lasting love. All things that I hear extended to her in the simple and beautiful statement makes that Jesus makes. And so I was out to lunch the other day asking some friends of mine what it looks like for us, for them, for you, to come face to face with the reality of the ways in which you thirst. What it looks like for the ways in which we thirst to be exposed and to be brought to light. And the list that that we came up with. It takes being vulnerable, both to share and to receive Being the type of person that's humble enough to receive when people acknowledge our thirst. And being the types of people that are courageous enough to call out ways in which other people thirst. To be people that call out life. They mentioned that it's scary. They also brought to mind that that it gets worse before it gets better. I uh, spent six years of my my Christian life, uh, the very first six years in this organization... Campus Crusade for Christ. And Campus Crusade for Christ is an incredible organization that has fingerprints all over, all over my Christian life. And I'm so grateful for my time there. And, and something happened while I was in that society and in that culture for six straight years of finding significance in, in big opportunities and, and flying across the country and planning conferences. And after a, quite a bit of time in this organization, I felt like the Lord was inviting me to step away. And I took a year of my life and I went into the professional world, uh, sales and marketing. And in an instant, the day I drove away from staff and and left my staff career with Crusade, I came face to face with how deeply I thirsted for recognition and for status and for comfort. And if it's possible, at 26, I had a complete nervous breakdown as I was ushered into and brought face to face with the ways in which I thirst. It feels raw. It has the potential to be incredibly and deeply lonely. But we also noted, while not ignoring all these things, we find Jesus in that place. And when we're in that place, we are open to hearing and receiving the invitation of that living water in a way that we're not, when we're not aware of our thirst. What I love also about this story is that this woman wasn't at a weekend retreat. She wasn't on her knees calling out for the Messiah to come and save her. And the grace aspect was that love showed up to this woman in the very unexpected everyday moment of drawing water from a well. As she is confronted with her thirst, she comes face to face. And then she leaves changed. And she becomes a culture changer. You know, Jesus shares with this woman her entire story goes over the fact that she's had five husbands. The husband that you're living with now, or the man you're living with now is not your husband. He doesn't skip over the messy, duplicitous parts of her life. And yet Jesus continues and offers her an invitation. You know, earlier in the story when she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for me, a woman, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? What she's literally saying, what, what the Greek words literally say, is that Jews don't share utensils with Samaritans. This woman is saying, what I have, my, my bowl, my cup, I'm dirty. And, and you, can't, you can't use my stuff because it's unclean. And love shows up unexpectedly in a gracious way as Jesus looks at her in the eyes. And he says, I don't, I don't think about you that way. 
the way that men have treated you, the way that you feel, the way that the world treats you. I don't, I don't think about you like that. This woman, in a very real way, experienced that living water. She experienced Jesus in such a way that perhaps her thirst was quenched for the very first time. In a moment, everything changed for her. And I love that the story says that she left her water jar. The very thing that she came to the well expecting to draw water from. The very thing that she thought sustained her life. She dropped it. And she left it as soon as she experienced this guy named Jesus. I remember uh, about eight years ago, I grew up in church my whole life. I went to Wednesday night programs. I went to the camps. I did it all. But I never really, truly experienced the life of Jesus until I was 21 years old. I had tried it all. I had tried money, fancy cars, nice clothes, girls, drugs, drinking. And all of it left me more thirsty than when I started. And I was in college and I was in a fraternity. And I wasn't just in a fraternity. I was that guy in the fraternity. (laughs) And I'll never forget standing up at Monday night meeting after this weekend that I had finally experienced the gospel and the reality of Jesus. And I didn't have all the answers. And I didn't know exactly where I was going. And I didn't even have a language to put around it. But I remember standing up in front of all my fraternity and saying, Hey guys, I don't know what it's going to look like. But I know my life is going to be a lot different. Because this weekend I experienced this Jesus guy and everything's changing. And that moment and that decision has been the driving force of my life that leads me to this stage today for the past eight years. It's funny to me that we spend so much of our time and our energy trying to make sure that nobody knows our whole story. Managing rearranging things so that people don't find out what we really think or how we really feel. Or that thing that we we dread that anyone would dare ever find out happened in the past. I wonder what would happen if we encountered someone who knew all of it. Didn't skip over the messy stuff and continued to move towards us and offer this invitation of life, of living water, Invitation to finally quench that thirst that you just so desperately want to bubble up inside. I believe that's the invitation that Jesus has for us, for you, for me. I think it would blow us away. I think we would leave change just like this woman did. Perhaps we would put down those things that we bring to the well to draw water with, the things that we think sustain us and quench our thirst, like money. Like portraying a certain image. Living vicariously through our our kids' accomplishments. Status. Friends' relationships. That we'd leave these things and we'd get in touch. We'd be honest about the ways in which we're so thirsty. I wonder what would happen to us if we allowed for this space in our lives to let love show up in the most unexpected ways. In the season, I, I just want to encourage you to be ready for that arrival. Not to miss it, because it's probably not going to come on December 25th. It might happen tonight. It might happen next week. It might be happening right now. Dare we believe that love would show up in our lives? Putting gas in our car, or balancing a checkbook, changing a, a diaper, 
or preparing a meal. And so the question that I want to leave you with today is, is what's the invitation for you this Advent? Is Jesus inviting you to come in touch face to face with your thirst? Have, have you perhaps been confronted with your thirst and, and is it now time to leave the things you thirst for at the foot of the cross? To leave them at the well in order that you might have this living water? Is Jesus inviting you to receive his invitation of grace that will change your life forever. You know, love showed up unexpectedly to a poor, broken, needy, and thirsty woman. And that's grace. That's what we come to celebrate this week, and that's, uh, we, like her, we, we wait for this season, the coming and the arrival of the Christ. Pray with me. Jesus, I'm reminded this morning, and I'm so glad that you really did come, that these aren't empty words or some story to to self-motivate, that this is real, that you're alive and you're active, and you are in the position of calling us back to yourself, not by your own works or not by things that we can do, but strictly by your grace. And so I pray for this congregation as I look out and see faces of people that I love, friends that I know. And I pray that we, together, would be open to your invitation to grace. I pray that we would be open this season to perhaps love showing up in the most unexpected ways. And that we'd allow you to blow our minds.